like to introduce you to a word. Um, in my world, I am told that I use words often that many people don't know. <clears throat> so uh, I figure if I'm gonna use a two-syllable word, that I should take some time and explain the definition. The word is defer. And defer is one of my favorite words. It's so thick, and here's simply what defer means. It's a willful decision to submit your rights to another. When you defer, it's a willful decision for you to submit your rights to another. Now, <clears throat> many of you know that our staff have a second office. That second office is Starbucks on Irving Park in 59. If you show up there Monday through Thursday, you're going to see one, two, five, or seven of the Village Church staff sitting there. Now, Starbucks, most of them have one physical feature that regularly in my life, and if you think about it, probably in your life, creates regular opportunities for either tension or deference. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll explain what this physical feature is. The physical feature is the fact that there is only one door and a vestibule that's really small with another door on the other end of it. So let me just share with you this moment at Starbucks when you're going in and someone else is coming out at the same time, right? You know that feeling? And someone has to defer. Someone has to take a step back, open the door, right? Now, let me just tell you, like, this happens, I would say, once a week, right? I walk up to the door, and I've made a decision. Whenever I go up to a door and there's somebody else there, I automatically choose deference. That's just a decision that I make. So I step back, and I say, no, I insist, you first. About once a week, there's the person who I see. They don't acknowledge me. They don't stop. They just keep going. As if I am their servant, and I owed them an open door. And I will be honest, I'm gonna have full confession here. I'd love to say that I am, a, I am just the godliest man you've ever met. Um, probably not true, uh, definitely not true. So there are times when the following two words come out of my mouth. You're welcome. <laughs> now, <clears throat> every time I do it, I feel incredible for about 10 seconds. <laughs> and then I feel like a terrible human being. And I look around. Did anybody hear that? No, I'm good. And then I go in, all right? Now there's a second experience that happens whenever you go to Starbucks, okay? I'm much more self-controlled because there's no getting away from this one. Same physical feature, okay, but here's the problem. I walk in, but right on my tail is another person. Do I just open the door and go first? Nope, I've made a decision, I will defer. I have every right to go first, I was there first, I will make the decision, I will defer. So whenever I see them, I open the door. And I say, no, I insist you first, especially if they have kids. Like, I'm just like high-fiving the kids. I'm like, bring it on. Like, you got, I get it. I, you know, I've been there, right? Now, typically, there's a social obligation in this moment, okay? The social obligation is the second door. What do you do? You open it for them. And then when you get into line at Starbucks, justice has been served. The person who got there first gets in line first. Oh, but every once in a while, I would say about once every two weeks, I open the door for some person who considers me their slave. And they walk in and they open the door for themselves, leave me hanging, and then go get in line in front of me, even though I was there first, right? And what do I want to say immediately when they don't open the door for me? You're welcome. 
right? I'm not, so I won't do that. Why? Because then I have to go face that person for like the next five minutes in line, right? So I'm really self-controlled when it comes to self-preservation. That's, that's for sure. But what do I feel every single time I look at somebody and I say, you're welcome. I just feel amazing. It's like a rush of dopamine followed by immediate regret. And I am a really, really terrible person. But something unexpected, I just discovered this in the last couple of years, something unexpected happens when I give up my rights to another person. Number one, I actually feel good. Do you ever ever notice like that little bit of satisfaction when you open the door for somebody? It's so simple, it's so small, but there's like this, that actually feels really good. And when you don't, when you like leave the person right behind you to fend for themselves and open the door for themselves, you feel bad, right? You would think like this desire to feel good would be enough for us to have deference. But no, uh, that that little like subtle dark bitterness that creeps in when you have to look at the person who cut in front of you in line, which is what it is, it's cutting at the least, socially unacceptable, right? I realize whenever I defer that my rights are actually really, really overrated. Really overrated. Like I've told you this, when there's like food on the table and we're at someone's house, everything in me wants to go eat first, everything. I'm so hungry, the moment I see food, I'm like, I must go eat now. But I've never regretted waiting to the end, unless you eat all the bacon, then I'm really upset. But like I've never, I always feel like satisfied. There's always something that happens whenever I defer. And then I realize that my rights, my need, my hunger, whatever this thing was that wanted me to have first place and right now and to claim what is rightfully mine, it just really wasn't that important anyways. People like me better. Like how many of you, do you want people to like you more or less? The answer is more. Uh, At Starbucks, the staff actually begins to notice. And then they begin to expect deference. They begin to expect different things. Not only do they know that we're all pastors of the Village Church, right? But then they begin to expect it. And then their respect for us and their appreciation for us goes up because they see that we're people who preach one thing, because we do all of our sermon prep there, by the way, also. And then they also get to see that we try to live these things out. And then strangers. Strangers have this moment of, oh, interesting, I, I appreciate that. And when I think about the benefits of deference, I, ask, I have to ask myself, why do I ever retaliate in the first place? It literally accomplishes the exact opposite of what I really want. And yet, let's be honest, every single time in the doors of those Starbucks, somebody breaks the social rules, what do I want to do? Retaliate. It takes profound amounts of self-control to look at those people and just smile, let it go, and walk away. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can op- open up there. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has two large overarching goals on the Sermon on the Mount. These are the two biggies that Jesus wants to get across. Number one, uh, Jesus expects that when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, you're not going to leave and say, I'm a really good person. I've got this thing together. I have mastered lust and anger and retaliation and my promises. Like, I am basically the best person that's ever existed. If you leave hearing the Sermon on the Mount thinking you're good, you have failed to listen and you do not understand what is happening. Uh, You should get to the end of this, and you should leave thinking this. I am not capable of following you, Jesus. If this is what you require, I don't have it within me. And at this point, Jesus would say, you're right. But I didn't call good people to follow me. I called sick people who want to be whole. 
it should bring you to the end of yourself. But the, the second reason Jesus does this is truly to show you a better way. It's to show you the way of the kingdom of God, to show you the way that will make you thrive and flourish as an image bearer. And so it's interesting when we talk about retaliation, every time I retaliate, bitterness creeps in and it ruins me. It corrupts me little by little, piece by piece. And then because it's Starbucks, you see the same hundred people on a regular basis. I have to now regularly look at this person who my heart is embittered towards. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a constant experience of interaction that accumulates. Jesus wants to show us a better way. And so he's speaking to a group of first century Jews who, you need to hear this, they think they're good, especially the religious leaders, and they are miserably failing to live up to the law that they claim they're so great at following. Now look at me with point number one in your notes, uh, releasing my rights. Verse 38, Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Does this feel archaic? What's the answer? Right, and it is because this was written thousands of years ago, a millennia ago for a tribal community. And I, I want to be really clear how this is supposed to function. In the Old Testament law, there were 613 laws, and a handful of them were civil laws that were to be enacted by judges. These are not personal laws. Like, you were not allowed to take this law, and like, if, if I punched you in the face, you're not allowed to get your brothers, hold me down, and yank out one of my teeth if you lost a tooth when I punched you. That's not how it's supposed to work. The, the, the law, the police, if you will, they have to be the ones to execute this justice. And, and many people read these Old Testament retribution laws, and they think they're antiquated and archaic and patriarchal and a million other things. But let me just tell you why this is actually a genius law. It comes up three times, uh, once in Exodus, once in Leviticus, once in Deuteronomy. And this is, let me just tell you why this is genius. Because I want you to imagine that um, you, uh, you find that one of your sheep was killed accidentally by your neighbor. And you go to the guy, and you're angry because you know he didn't take the right precautions. So you go up to the guy and you punch him in the face. Now you would never do this, right? <clears throat> Just other people. But you go up and you punch him into the face. In modern day language, this would be you go up to him and you start yelling at him, right? So you go up to, the, you go up to your neighbor, my sheep is dead, you're negligent, what have you done? Well, the guy is now publicly shamed. His brothers hear about this. And his brothers go over and they beat this person down. I mean, the guy's not dead, but they beat him down. They beat him down bad. It takes him a couple weeks to recover. By the way, this is not a crazy scenario in tribal communities, let alone in America, okay? So then what happens is um, the brothers of this guy who got a beat down said, you know what, we're done. And they go over and they kill their neighbor. And they say, nobody messes with our family like this and let every single one of the persons who shares your last name remember this day. And now what do we have? A family feud filled with vengeance and now we have in these small tribal communities generations of people who are angry at each other. So God intervenes and says, okay, there's this whole vicious cycle that is happening all around us, and here's what we're gonna do. You have an issue. You take it to the judge, and if the judge finds you guilty, here's the rule. If you did something negligent and he lost a tooth or an eye or an animal, tooth for tooth, eye for eye, whatever it is, that's it. So be careful, watch out. But you, you don't get to enact this justice. You don't get to take the law into your own hands. This is the responsibility of the courts. And what's happening right now in Jesus's day is about a thousand years, 2,000 years after this law is actually given, they have started to take the law into their own hands. They're bypassing the courts and they are taking personal vengeance and retribution. So Jesus quotes the civil law. He says, you've heard it said, and it's true. And it still applies. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is true. 
Here's the problem. You don't have the authority to enact this law. You don't have the authority to actually execute the justice here. That is the justice's responsibility. That is the judge's responsibility. That's the Jewish court's responsibility. And the moment you take this justice into your own hands, you're bypassing their job. We get to verse 39, and, and this is the big so what of the sermon, and the rest of what Jesus says is gonna make sense of this. Here's what he says, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. I have two questions. What does resist mean? And what does the evil mean? Resist simply means this, to stand your ground and to go toe to toe. When somebody, whatever evil is, and we'll define evil in a moment, but whenever somebody does something evil to you, like I think evil, it's evil when you don't like say thank you to the person who opens the door for you, right? Infuriates me. But when somebody does evil to you, you have two options, defer or go toe to toe. Defer or go toe to toe. What does your heart want? Toe to toe. Now, I don't go toe to toe like right away. I escalate slowly and intentionally. I say, you're welcome. The person says, you're a jerk. I say back to them, oh yeah, you wanna go? Not thinking they're actually gonna say yes. This is not real by, by the way. This is making this up. Go with me here, people, okay? But you understand how quickly, I mean, some of this stuff can happen, right? It just escalate. And by deferring, I'm actually de-escalating what is potentially gonna be a really difficult situation. So to resist means to go toe-to-toe, and Jesus says, look, I know everything in you, there's an impulse to go toe-to-toe, stop it. You do nothing good for you, nothing good for them, 